0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at StoneOakBible.com. I got to tell you, this is a tough one. This is a really tough one. So, kids, I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad you are here. Um, I hope you're ready for this one. Uh, This is one that hits hard and it hits close to home. Um, And I want you to know, again, as you're finding your place there, as you're getting ready, um, I'm going to say this again and again and again and again God disciplines those he loves. And here's what that means, that God loves you, demonstrated his love for you, not just by saving you, but also by sanctifying you from your sin. And so what that means, in other words, is he loves you, and through faith in Christ, he has saved you, your son, his, his daughter. But as his son and his daughter, and we need to take this in: God loves you so much that the God of the universe would not just leave you in your sin, to figure it out until you see him later. But his love is so demonstrated for you that he would would step in. Uh, He loves you enough to discipline you. It's really, it's quite a bit to take in, but listen, um, his love is his discipline. His discipline is his love. God disciplines those he loves. Having said that, discipline is not pleasant in the moment. Um, but over time, in the end, it brings incredible things in our life, incredible fruit in our life. So um, as we get to this tough one, uh, I would love for us to just come to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would use this time. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning, and, and I am grateful for your word, even the hard parts. And this morning, we come to Amos 4, and this is one of those this is one of those hard parts. So, Lord, I pray that you give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear. I pray that you would help us as we walk through this, this text together this morning, and that all of this would be for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Amos 4, verse 1. I just thought there is no, any intro it just wouldn't do this text justice. So I'm going to let, I'm just going to go, all right? Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. How's that for coming out of the gate this morning? <laughs> Hear these words. you cow- So here's the thing with this cow thing. Um, we talked about last week that when you come to the Old Testament, when you come to any of the prophets, there's this cultural gap that we'll have to you know, bridge in order to understand it. So in other words, Amos wrote this about 2,772 years ago to people living in the ancient Middle East, to the Israeli people in the ancient Middle East. And here we are in 2022 in Stone Oak in north central San Antonio, Texas. There is a cultural gap that we're going to have to cross so often. But here's the thing. Um, Today, generally, it is not a good thing to call someone that. (laughs) To call someone a cow. thats not a good thing. And in this text, it just so happens to be women. It is not a good thing to call a woman a cow in your life, Okay. Here's the thing, um, this cultural gap, let me tell you, it wasn't nice back then either. So just as ooh as it is for us, listen, the cultural gap that we have to cross here to understand this is not all that big. They would have felt the sting of this one right off the front, right off, the, front, uh, right off the, the bat. This wasn't a compliment. Um... Just as it's not a compliment to call someone a cow today, it's it's not it was not a compliment here either in this text. And um, so, so personally, I've never been to Bashan uh, or modern day Golan Heights. I've never been there, Um, but there is there is a lot of uh, resources and information out there to tell me exactly what we're dealing with. Here's the thing: I know we have kids in here, and I was going to be the coolest pastor ever and put up a bunch of pictures and, and, and uh, show you some cows that I'm talking about, but here's the thing. Um, skinny cows are like the stuff of nightmares. I could not find one that I wanted to put on this screen. I mean, it is, blah, it is nasty. So instead of putting hor- horrifying pictures on the screen, I'm just going to talk it out, okay? So what we're talking about here is not skinny cows, Okay? We're not talking about the cows that don't eat that much. We're not talking about cows that you can see the ribs. Oh, it's gross. It's, it's, it's real gross. We're not talking about those cows. When we, when we talk about these cows here, these are well-fed, fat, um, not malnourished or underfed in any way. These are girthy cows. I'm going to use the word plumpy today. <laughs> these cows are plumpy cl- cows, plumpy cows. So when you see this, hear this word, you cows of Bashan, I want you to picture the fattest, plumpiest cow that you can picture, all right? Again, I'm not gonna show you a picture because it's disturbing. So hear this word, you plumpy cows of Bashan, all right? And he says, you are, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. All right, let's unpack this one. Um, last week, we actually laid a kind of a, a really important foundation for us last week that I think will be helpful for us, and so I want to revisit it just for a little bit. So if you remember, last week, our call was this. First of all, to remember who you are. It was a call to remember the gospel. Remember what God has done. Remember who you are. Then from that, as we remember who we are, the call is to love people and use money and then rinse and repeat, all right? Remember who you are, love people, use money. But as we talked about last week, unfortunately, our tendency is often to do the opposite of this. Our tendency is to forget who we are, to forget what God has done. We're prone to wonder, prone to forget the gospel. And from that forgetfulness, we have a tendency to switch these, and and we, we have a tendency to love money and use people. To use people and to love money. Our tendency is just to flip God's plan for us on its, on its head. Um, and as we look at our text here, that's exactly what is on display. So here there are these wealthy women of Israel here in this text. Now, pause. We're going to get to the whole gender thing here in a little bit. All right, so guys, don't elbow. Girls, hold up, all right? Um, Hold on to the gender thing. We're coming back to that. But here's what we see is we see these wealthy women of Israel here in this text who had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten what God had done for them. And now what we see in this text is they're doing two things. Okay. The first thing that we see them doing is using the people who are under them. We see this when they're oppressing the poor, trampling, abusing the poor. This means that they were abusing and using and trampling those who were under them, those who were under their rung of the social ladder. They were using the people who had fewer resources, less money, less power, less position. They were using the people under them. That was the first thing that they were doing. But that's not the only thing, because the second thing is really interesting. The second thing is that they were also using the people over them, okay? So if you look at this, the text says, who oppress the poor and needy, under, okay? Then we have, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink, over, over, under, here. For the word husband here, it's actually a kind of a unique word. There's a lot of Hebrew words that could be used that just mean straight up husband, a little clearer. But this word is a little bit unique. The word here that we see translated as husband is a word that often in your Bible is translated as Lord. It's the word Adonai. And and what is implied here is rank and power. Not just gender, but rank and power. So here, what they're doing... Trampling on the poor and all the time, calling out to those above them, barking out at them, hey, give me a drink, okay? That's what we see here in this text. So we see here these women who are trampling and oppressing and abusing and and walking all over, crushing those who are under them, and at the same time, barking out at those above them. They were using people both under and above. That's what we see here in this text. So with that, I want to hit the elephant in the room um, here, a cow in the room maybe better. Is this just a text for a woman? Is this just a text for, for women? Like, should we just dismiss the guys as we come to this text? Is, is that what we should do? Um, listen, I, I, as I've studied this text and spent time with it, I believe that Amos did in fact have very specific women in Israel in mind. I believe that the word of God is explicitly calling out literal women in ancient Israel here. Yes. However, that being said, what is being called out here has nothing to do with gender. Gender. Okay, so in the text, he's calling out specific women, but what he is calling out has nothing to do with the fact that they are women. So as we seek to see this, interpret this, apply this, understand this, we need to understand the importance of what God is actually calling out here. And what he is calling out here is not contingent on whether or not you're a woman or a man. In other words, the sin in this text is no respecter of gender. So guys, don't elbow husbands, or your, your wives anymore, all right? Um, we have the same tendencies today, guys. I'll call you out here. You have the same tendency to be a plumpy cow as the ancient women of Israel did 2,772 years ago. In fact, here's the difficult thing. I said this was a tough one. I am... Um, I strongly believe that, as I've spent time here in this text, I strongly believe that our tendency, both as men and women, that our tendency is just as strong toward this uh, plumpy cow syndrome as it has ever been, ever been. Our tendency is to forget who we are and to love stuff, love money stuff, power, and security, and our tendency is to use people in order to get it. We're going we're gonna to coin that the plumpy cow syndrome, and we are just as prone to it as, as ever today. Our tendency, forget who we are. Forget who we are in Jesus, and then because of that, here's the thing. Let's do a little bit of a heart surgery on ourselves. Our tendency then is to kind of elevate ourselves as the center of our own universe, and all of this just revolves around me, right? And when we do this, we're just like the cows. And here's the thing about the cows, those, those, those fat cows of Bashan. They are out for one thing. Their day is filled with one agenda item. Eat. Just walk around and feed. Just Eat. Off of this lush land all around. And and that is what they do. That's what cows do. That's what God created them to do. And that's what it means to be a cow. They glorify God when they do that. But that's not what it means to be a human created in the image of God. Our tendency is to elevate ourselves to be the center of our universe. And when we become the center, then we have one agenda item. And that is to get what is ours. To chase after it. And, and like this text says to, to everything else, the people below us and above us, it doesn't matter. They're there. So we can use them to get what we need. We're there to feed. And so we, we trample on those Below us, we stand on them to get to where we need and we take those above us and we just use them for what they can give us to also get where we need to be. So when we're the center, everything else just kind of revolves around us and when we forget who we are, when we forget that our God is God, our tendency is to want to begin to elevate ourselves and we would never say in our hearts that I am the God of my life. And that's exactly what our hearts say. When we forget who we are, we have this tendency to elevate ourselves and to serve ourselves with ourselves in mind. And all of the people are there for us. And at the heart of it, it's selfishness. It's self-centeredness. It's it's a self-referenced and self-focused life. It's navel-gazing. And I guess if you want to go one layer deeper, it's not just selfishness. It's idolatry. And, and I know that's a weird word because when we think of idolatry, we think of like little wooden things on a shelf or a little golden calf or whatever. Um, but hear me, that's not what idolatry looks like for so many of us today. Modern idolatry is not worshiping wooden little dolls. It's modern idolatry is worshiping ourselves and using people and stuff to worship us. Some modern idolatry is we've put the self at the center. This is what it means to be a modern day, plumpy cow of Bashan. I could say a lot, but there's a lot more. So Amos says, hear this word. You're, you're on the mountain of Samaria. You're, you're oppressing the poor. You're crushing the needy. You're saying to your husbands, bring that we may drink. And he, he, he says at the beginning, right off, off the front, he says, hear this word. What, what word are they to hear? Well, let's look at verse two. Um, the Lord God has sworn by His holiness. I want to stop there, pause just for a brief second, and 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 pull out the 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 weight of that one. So God is God's word is sure; it is true; it is always true; it is forever true, all the time, all the time. And yet, when God speaks here, He swears by His own holiness. He swears by his own holiness. He swears as just a way to further confirm that this is going to happen. And and he swears to himself, his own holiness, his own being. And and what this means is just as certainly as God cannot be separated from his own holiness, just as certain as that is not going to happen, this thing is going to happen. It's that certain. This is a huge statement. And then what is going to happen here? So, behold, the days are coming, God says. When they shall take you away with hooks. Listen, I thought the, cat, the fat cow part was hard. This one's even harder. Even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches. Each one straight ahead. And you shall be cast out of Herman and declares the Lord. This is absolutely vivid imagery here. And I actually think that this is even more vivid to our American ears, our modern American ears. Um, listen, typically there is a gap between um, our food and our farm. So typically, you know, there's a gap between our chicken nuggets and our chickens and our bacon and our pigs. You can go to Cain's Chicken and get chicken strips and have no clucking and no feathers involved in the process whatsoever, right? There's a gap there. If you've done any traveling, though, you've noticed maybe outside of America, it's not always like that. Um, it's not always like that at all. I've, been, I've had the privilege to go to Ethiopia several times, and let me tell you, it is not like that there. Um, It is not like that at all. In fact, if you drive down the streets, the busy streets, there are people, there are cars, there are children, there are animals, there are shops, there is everything, just all on the streets. It's crazy, and if you think that it's busy on our streets, you have seen nothing. Imagine taking that, multiplying it for more people, and then taking away all organization. That's what I'm talking about. And in a street like that, in the middle of all the hustle and bustle, what you're going to see is at the corners, there's these little shacks that are open air. There's this little awning that comes out with a hook. Some of you know where I'm going. Um, And what you'll see on the hook is that they will have this skinned carcass hanging that they're trying to sell for the day. And for Ethiopians, this is perfectly normal. For me, it was like, whoa! It's like an open air butcher shop for the world to see, just happening right there on on the streets. Um, And so you're gonna see the goat, you're gonna see the cow just hanging there. Listen, the reason I bring this up is because those are the hooks that you should have in your mind as we get to this text. Those are the hooks. Those hooks hanging the skinned carcasses, those are the hooks. They're the meat hooks. We get this imagery. Don't miss this. We started with well-fed, fat, plumpy cows. And I know we're separated from our food, but let me tell you, well-fed, fat, plumpy cows make great steaks. And what we see in this text is well-fed, fat, plumpy cows Meeting the meat hooks. (laughs) Um, In all of their confidence, in all of their indulgence, they meet the meat hooks. And so the imagery here is from the well-fed cow to the meat hook, the lush gardens of or the mountains of Samaria being cast out, being let out. And again, God says, I'm going to do this. And I swear by my own holiness that I'm going to do this. This will happen. It is certain to happen. The days are coming when this will happen. The question is not if this is going to happen. The question is when this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And here's the thing. The problem here with the people is not how much or how little they made. Or how much or how little power they had. That's not the problem. The problem of the people was their hearts. They loved their indulgent money And stuff, they loved themselves. They were the center of their own world like fat, indulgent cows. And they used people. And they worshiped themselves. The heart of the problem was the heart of the people. The heart of the problem in this text is the heart of the people. And we have another section of this verse. I want to roll into right now. Because here's the thing. Do you know what never helps this problem? Ever? Do you know what never helps heart, deep heart, wickedness problems? It's showing off with outward, empty, religious showiness. That never helps. And and here, um, Amos is going to dive into that. Again, this one was a tough one to unpack, and I want to give you one thing before we read verses 4 and 5. Um, this one was hard for me because I wasn't expecting sarcasm. I had to read this multiple times, like, I can't be reading this right. I got help, and I was looking, I was like, you can't be reading this right. So sarcasm, you, hopefully you know what that is. It's when you say something, you exaggerate your point, you say something, and it's often the tone that really commits what... or. Uh, Uh, tells what you actually mean. It's picked up on through tone. Some of you think I'm, like, some of you are like, I am very good at sarcasm. It's my spiritual gift. Um, And uh, with sarcasm, let me give you an example. It would be like me saying, um, yeah, that would never happen. You pick up on that? I said, yeah, that would never happen. But my tone said that that has certainly happened right? That's sarcasm. That's sarcasm. And here's the thing, though. When I think about God, when I think about the Bible, when I think about the prophets, I don't think about sarcasm. Is God allowed to be sarcastic? Apparently, yes, because this text, as we look at it, what we're seeing here is a great deal of sarcasm. Verses four and five. Come to Bethel, and transgress to Gilgal, and multiply transgression. So what Amos is saying here, before we read the rest, is he is, he's saying, hey, go to your worship places, your temples. Go there. It's like a call to worship. Come into the house of God. It's a call to worship. Only this isn't a call to worship, is it? It's a call to sin. He's saying, go to your worship places and be Sinful. Just can keep keep it up. Like, that's the way I read this. Like, keep it up. I don't know if you've ever said that as a parent. Yeah, keep it up. Keep it up. That's what, it, it's a keep it up here. Keep, keep this, and, and just to be clear, God is not desiring them to sin. He's not, he, his, his heart for you is not that, oh, that they would go to their temples and sin. No. He, his heart for you is not to sin. This is a sarcastic parody a little bit here. And the people would have picked up on this very, very quick. And if they didn't, well, he continues. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them for so you love to do. If you don't if you don't hear sarcasm in that one right there, you missed it. Like just go. Just publish it. For that's what you love to do. The tone here is so important. The message here is so important. What God is calling them out for is their empty religious actions, their sacrifices, their offerings. See, their hearts are wicked. They're abusing people and using the poor. Their hearts are just dirty, and no amount of outward, showy, religious motions are going to change that. It shows us here that it's possible, please hear me, for us to do the right things with the wrong heart and to do all those right things in sin. It's possible to do all the right things with the wrong heart and to do all those right things in sin. For Israel, these are good things. These are the right things. Um, They're offerings. They're sacrifices. these These are good things. They are godly things. These are actually the very same things that God said, do this. They're good things. They're really good things. The problem, though, was not in the the actions. The problem was the heart. It's possible for the people of God to do all the right things with the wrong heart and to do all the right things in sin. In church, I, I don't think it's very difficult to see how this applies to us because I want to tell you, it's possible for you and I, to do the right things with a wretched, nasty, filthy heart and to do all those right things in sin. It's, it's possible to, whether it be going to church, getting involved in a community group, giving to your church, serving in your church, whether it be going out and doing community service for your community, Whether it, what if you just go out and start sharing the gospel? What about um, maybe it's reading your Bible, singing, worshiping fasting. Hey, take all of it. Take all of those religious actions. All of those things are good things. All of those things are godly things. You should be doing those things, okay? You should be doing those things. They are sanctifying things, but hear me, they are not saving things, and they are never meant to be self-promoting things, That's where the rubber meets the road. They're never meant to be self-promoting things. These good things go wrong when we try to hide behind them and to promote ourselves through them so that we look really good to other people. All of a sudden, those good things become sin. And this is why he says, you know, bring the sacrifices, your tithes, your sacrifices of thanksgiving, proclaim your free will offering. And then he says, publish them. For so you love to do. If you want, you could boil it all down to that. If you think about it, all of these religious things, these good things that we're called to do, they are given to us by our God so that we may glorify him. That's right. That we may know him and, and remember him and enjoy him and, and glorify him. That's why we are given those things to do. But when you do those religious things to glorify yourself when 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 i do religious things so that you guys would say look at our pastor like how cool is that how holy is he like it's sin it's broken it's it's taking good things and doing them in sin. And listen, the, the, God says in our text, you are wicked and your hearts are wicked and at the same time, you're trampling over everyone. You're publishing all of your religious nonsense for the world to see. And what's crazy is this is before social media. <laughs> I'm gonna call that out here. This is pre-Instagram. And, and yet they still have a posting problem. Like, I think the equivalent of this, and, and I don't want to pick on anyone here, so I made a totally fictional story, right, is the day that you wake up and you're in a your horrible mood and you lose your temper with everyone, including your family, you cut corners at work, you yell at someone, and you road rage your whole ride home, and then you get home, and you crack the window, and you put your Bible, and you get a cup of coffee, and you snap a picture, <laughs> and you say, coffee in the word, hashtag blessed, or... Like spending the first, you know, several hours in the word today. Like that is what this is. That is not what God wants for you. That is not what his, his heart is for you. And here's the thing. He sees through all of our acts of service All of our songs, all of our sermons, the giving, the offering, the sacrifices, and all of your posts. He sees through all of them and sees your heart. And um, listen, it reminds me of a powerful text. I'm going to bring this out for the first time, but hear me, this isn't the last time you're going to see this text in Amos. Um, It reminds me of Matthew 23. Matthew 23, um, I think this text is amazing because we're, we're going to hear this very same heart of Amos through the, the words of Jesus. So I want to I put them kind of side by side. And what this text is in Matthew, uh, this crazy text, is the scene where Jesus is absolutely laying the hammer down on religious leaders at his time. Matthew 23, he's laying the hammer down. He's rebuking them. He's letting them have it. In verse 3, he says, you preach, but you don't practice. Verse 5 you know, all of your deeds are done so they're seen by others. So it's, you know, hard stuff here, hard stuff. Um, again, this is the same, though, as Amos saying, hey, publish them. I know you love to do that. It's the same thing here. Jesus is calling out again. And in verse 13, he, he gets to the part where he starts issuing out the woes. And your, your text, your translation, I guarantee has an exclamation mark on each one of these. That's because where I said Amos had a tone of sarcasm... This one, Jesus has a fiery tone, an exclamation point tone, okay? And so as we look at this, he, he calls them hypocrites. Verse 13, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and you enter yourselves in. Or you, you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Verse 15, he says, you go all the way to make one convert. And when he becomes a convert, he's twice as much a child of hell as you are. Like, oh, Jesus, this is a tough word. And he, he, he calls them 16, blind guides. 17, you fools. 23, he says, you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. This is the same thing that Amos is calling out in. Same thing. He's speaking to these leaders with conviction and truth. He's not making a lot of friends here, by the way. And he's saying the same thing as Amos. And then I want to hone in on on 25 and 26. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate so the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Church, God wants more for us than to be a congregation of whitewashed tombs. That we would be more than just a people who, who try really hard to appear holy so that people like us and think great of us To practice our religious stuff really loud and to publish them so that others say, wow, look at them. Jesus says, whitewashed tombs, they look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, it's just death in there. It stinks. He says, you look beautiful on the outside, but inside, there's just blatant hypocrisy and death. And then Jesus hones in on that cup analogy I just read. So he's, listen, God wants more for us than be a congregation of cups that look squeaky clean on the outside, but are have like spoiled, weak, old, horrible milk in the inside. I say that because it happens all the time in our house. You're looking like, "Oh, that. how many want to drink that cup? Neither does God. You might look pretty on the outside. You might be able to put it on the cabinet, on the shelf, and it might get away. But on the inside, there's greed, self-indulgence, just like the cows of Bashan, just like God's word in Amos. Here, Jesus is calling out something. I want to bring out one more. um, Actually, we've already looked at this verse. I just want to put it up here again. When he says, first clean the inside of the cup, that the outside also may be clean. Here's the thing. Our faith, our walk with Jesus, our religious lives are meant to be an inside out process. And and what this means is that scripture tells us that we are made new, not just made to look new. There's this text in 2 Corinthians um, 5 17, and I want to tell you what it does not say. You ready? It does not say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is to look like a new creation. The old needs to seem as though it has washed away. Behold, you need to look like the new has come. That is not what the scripture says. Let's see what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old, the new has come. That is conversion. That is regeneration. That is being made new. That is Jesus saying here, I'm going to give you a clean heart, a new heart. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to clean the inside of the cup so that the outside will follow. The Lord. And that's our call. Okay, you might be hearing all of this and saying, we get it. Can we move on? Um, But hear me, this makes so much of a difference in what we do here at Stone Oak Bible as a church. What this means is that our mission here at Stone Oak Bible Church, (laughs) please don't get offended, Um, is not to make you more religious, more respectable, more impressive heathens. It's not our mission here. To be a people who are out for our own glory and pleasure and greed, but man, we look good while we do it. Our mission is not to be a people who look the part, who play dress up. Like an Amos, who have no sense of justice or compassion for the lost or for the broken or for the poor, who no love for others because we're too busy loving ourselves. This is not what God has for us as his people. And this means that our ultimate mission is, is, as a church is not just to get you to come to church more or to serve more or to give more or to do more religious things in your community and make sure you post about them when you do. That is not our mission as a church. In fact, our mission is this. Our mission is to glorify God. What this means is it's upward. It's not to glorify ourselves. It's to glorify him, to look up by growing in Christ. This is that inside out being formed from the inside out. And not only that, but by growing together. This is true gospel community that we would grow in Christ together and we would glorify God by going to the world. That means that this inside-out faith is also outward-facing. Right. This is our mission, and this is why this is our mission, because God does not want us to just play dress-up together That's right. so that we can look great. He wants to transform us and make us new. And so here's the question that I want to leave us with is what do we do with this? What do we do with a text like this? Um, I want to give us three things as we, as we close that we are to do with this text. The first is repentance. This is going to be a common theme throughout every week of Amos, by the way. Repentance. It has to start here. That we would confess our self-centeredness. for some of us it, it may be have been a long 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 time since you've thought legitimately about someone other than yourself we have to start here to repent of our navel gazing to repent in that we would repent for the ways that we have seen ourselves in the world and seen how others just are revolving around us and using people that we would repent. Maybe for some of us, we need to repent for something I'll call compassion fatigue, which is, yeah, I know there's hurt out there. There is so much pain out there. I can't handle it. I got stuff to do, a lot to do. I'm a little bit strapped right now, so I'm gonna... My compassion muscle is just a little fatigued. For some of us, that might be where you are right now. That might be the way you're coping with this crazy world we live in. And for that, we need to repent. God has more for us than this. More for us. We need to start here that we would confess and repent instead of hiding and pretending that we would confess and repent. It starts there. And that then leads us to the great call of Amos, which is compassion compassion, that God would open our eyes to see the lost around us, that we would see, I mean truly see, and that our hearts would be softened again. So here's what I'm not asking you to do. I am not asking you to go home and to say, try harder to care more and be better at caring. That is not going to work. Try hard at being better at caring. Um, That is not the call of what it means to follow Jesus. Church, what I am saying is that as a Christian, as someone who's been saved by grace and made new, Scripture says that God gives us a soft heart. God takes a heart of stone and makes it into a heart of flesh, softens it. So I'm not trying to go home and try harder. What I'm saying is go home and go to Jesus. Go to Christ. You don't even have to go home. Let's start here. Go to Christ. And allow him to renew us and make us new. That's why repentance is so important. That's why it starts here. It does not start here. It starts here. We come to him and confess and repent. And our hearts are softened. And that, listen, compassion starts with prayer. That, that we would pray, God, would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? Would you open our eyes to those around us? And compassion continues in our life when we continually put down our selfishness. Listen, compassion and selfishness are, they don't play nicely. They're like the opposite ends of magnets. They don't play nice. And so what this means is to walk in compassion means that we crucify the flesh daily. So we start with repentance. We go to compassion. And then I want to bring out one more thing, and that is humility. And specifically, I could say a lot about this, but I'm specifically talking about something I am going to call peacocking. Does anyone know? I know I've talked about cows, elephants this morning. We're here to peacocks. Does anyone know what a peacocking is? So peacocks are beautiful, beautiful animals. And what they do is when they want attention, they, and it's beautiful and they look huge and big and beautiful and, and to get noticed And it is amazing when peacocks do this. It brings God glory when peacocks do this. It is peacocks doing exactly what peacocks are created by God to do, right? It's amazing when they do it. It's not amazing when we do it. (laughs) When we dress up, dress ourselves up, talk ourselves up, act ourselves up, to tell the world, to make sure that the world knows just how great we really are, And if we're good at it, we can be subtle at it. Just to make sure they know how good we are. It's peacocking. Um, Listen, that's the worst, okay? It's the worst. But I got to tell you, there's one specific kind of peacocking that is the absolute worst, and that is religious peacocking. Mm. Religious peacocking is horrible. It is what Amos says about publish it for the world to see. It's that. Um, it, religious peacocking is so terrible because what we're trying to do is take the glory that is meant for Jesus and take it for our own in the name of Jesus. That's horrible. Yeah. I mean, it is bleh. Here's the thing. Church, I want us to be a church that does not religiously peacock. I want to create an active campaign against religious peacocking at Stone Oak Bible Church. And I think what this means is that with every... I want to call us to something and just consider this. This is going to be hard. Um, With every conversation, with every post that you make, what if we asked one simple question? Who am I glorifying in this? Not what am I posting, but who... Am I glorifying or trying to glorify? Because it's possible to do a lot of good things and to do them all for our own glory. So what if we ask, who are we glorifying? What if we humbled ourselves? And I want to end with this scripture that just calls this mind of Christ uh, to us. It's Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, humility, the way of Christ is humility. The heart of Christ is humility. And my prayer is in the call this morning is for us to repent, to be less and less like cows, and to be more and more like Christ, Humble and compassionate. I could say more, but I'm going to pause here because next week we're going to pick up right here. We're going to continue on in Amos.